Welcome to Distracted Hobbyists, a wargaming hobby podcast trying desperately to focus on Malifaux, but as the name says, we get distracted. A lot. Here we will talk about our own hobby progress, as well as different topics surrounding them. We're your hosts, Klaas and Eleanor. So this podcast will have a guest on to talk about tournament organizing and different topics around that. But first, we'll talk about some other nonsense. Uh, first and foremost, we've got an email now. It's distractedhobbyists at gmail.com. Feel free to send us any questions or feedback. We might even read it, you know. Uh, <laughs> And we might bring on questions to the show if they're reasonable, or maybe if they're not, who knows? Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at distracted underscore hobbyist and at sybarite underscore painting. So, uh, so did you did play, you play anything? anything? <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> You start. Did you play anything since our last recording? Uh, I did, actually. I haven't had that much time to play because I've moved, which has been very stressful. Um, But, yeah, I did play a game of Malifaux. I played a game of, what is it called? It's called Cloak and Dagger. It's a very interesting strategy in the New Guinea Grounds. Season four. I really like the strategy. It's got a, a lot of cool nuances to it. I'm, uh, it didn't go super well, but it didn't go super badly either. I played our friend Jakob uh, and I played Molly into his. Uh, oh God, I, I just drew a blank. Hamelin? His, uh, Hamelin. Hamelin won. Basic Hamelin, uh, traumatized. <laughs> so, uh, like, it, I mean, it, it went okay, but there's this cool thing in Cloak and Dagger where, well, I think it's perhaps the strategy most suited to Bubble Cruise, potentially, depending on the deployment, I'd say. It was standard. I think perhaps less so if it's diagonals, because then you can have the strategy markers further apart. But when it's standard or wedge deployment, you can sort of force the markers uh, to move into your bubble when they're interacted with. Yeah, definitely. So I think I should perhaps have tried to, like I tried to, to wait and see if he could interact so I could just steal from him instead of pushing the buttons, but it didn't go super well. Um, so I, I lost five, seven, uh, but it was really fun. It's fun getting to know Molly again. And that sounds, sounds really good. And I can kind of understand that since 
uh, Molly does a lot of uh, like trying to get activation control, while Hamlin has that double rat system that can make you lose your tokens and lose activation control yeah, through that. that. Yeah, uh, that was really difficult. It's a bit of a hindrance. It was a it was a fun game. Uh, I, did, I did some. Uh, Jacob is very good at playing crews and handling them in the way that you you have trouble killing stuff. Like he he doesn't like to give you stuff <laughs> very easily. Uh, so like uh, for a while there, I was really frustrated because I I killed four Malifaux rats or five and like one stolen and a, a, a big problem this game was I had Nyx down to like one wound quite a few times <laughs> and he just kept healing up. I was just this close to killing Nyx and I was like, you know, when you, you feel like I should probably have let this go ages ago and then you're like, yeah, but then everything would have been in vain. So it's, uh, he did go down eventually and it I mean Archie was happy because he got to squash four Malifaux rats in one hit Yay! That, that, that's four cards for the handling player but it, it was fun <laughs> I did learn that um, the riders don't like Hamlin much because he can just discard um, I haven't played Hamlin much but he can just discard uh, one uh, a plague token or whatever it's called when you're within six and he can just cancel your trigger. So that really neuters the rider quite a lot. Although you still have your mobilities, so you can kind of work around that. Um, a perk I think there is that the dead rider can, if the dead rider can do its nasty pulse, like every rat in that pulse is a soul stone and it ignores the demise so Hamlin won't draw a card but uh yeah I'm not going to talk more about that game it, it, it's just interesting so yeah did you play anything I did actually I played I've played one game in this past month and I played Kirai 1 into Ma 2 in Raid the Vaults Nice. Yeah, my friend uh, had uh, just recently gotten the the Trixie keyword, so uh, it was his first time actually playing Matu, and I obliterated him. I, I actually oh. didn't think about <laughs> the impact of Kirai One on into the Trixie keyword beforehand. I was just thinking that hey i can i want to try and summon some drowned and do some daisies and stuff and then like yeah he brought some models with armor and i had ikirio coming with irreducible damage and killing them and then i made some onryo with datsuba and i dazed a few couple of models and then on turn three i killed ma with <laughs> ikirio and yeah, it didn't go very well from for him. Also, like I, I hadn't at Ouch. all thought about the fact that uh, a big part of Matu's play is uh, scrap markers turning into uh, pit traps and other pit traps, 
also being all the way around and everything I had was incorporeal or ignored hazardous. So that didn't really right. help anything for him. So it was a really bad matchup. No. And had I thought about this, I probably wouldn't have taken this into his first game. <laughs> but Was your friend uh, discouraged? No, I don't think he was. It's not like he really beats me anyway. But uh, but he has tied. <laughs> he has tied with me, but he hasn't beaten me yet. Mm. Uh, but mm. he, I, I think he really liked the keyword a lot, and I hope hope he's played some more games with it. it I think I've seen one on our our local uh, WhatsApp group. I think I saw pictures of one of his games with with the keyword, and it was apparently a really close game there. Nice. Yeah, like... Yeah, Mel Tuckett and her gang are really cool. I like them. Yeah, I, like, the I was thinking of taking Molly into it, but, like, I had pre- played Molly my past four games, so I was, like, really wanted to play something else. And, like, my previous game against him, he had played Kirai, and I had played Molly, so I thought mm. I'd now play Kirai and and show him a little bit what kind of stuff he he could do with Kirai, and I didn't really expect it going like like it did. Yeah, that, that happens. What Which strategy do you think is Kirai's best this gaining rounds? Because you haven't seen much of Kirai for a, a little while. Well, I think her best strategy is probably uh, plant explosives. And that's specifically Kirai mm-hmm. 2, because she's so so mobile that she can she can uh, get those markers over very fast, and then she can bog down the opponent's crew so that they can't really get anything done. And then you have uh, Lost Love popping around that can pop around and pick up markers here and there also. So I, I think that's probably her her best strategy, but. Makes sense. I, I don't, in general, think that Raid the Vault is such a good strategy for her, but I think it's quite matchup dependent because she can do a lot of like willpower based stuff, so she's pretty good into Bayou there. And also, like, Bayou has quite a lot of hazardous causing stuff, so at least the Bayou I've played against. So she neuters that pretty quickly and then of course she's also very board dependent like if there's a lot of severe she's great in almost any strategy yeah true i guess maybe that's when you more heavily consider her when incorporeal is very handy i tend to focus very much on the strategy when picking a master and should perhaps focus more on the board as well I probably wouldn't take her into ballots because all her models are quite squishy and you don't have any extra ways to interact. Mm. Fair. But anyway, that's the only game I played. So did you get any painting done? (laughs) Uh, A little, yeah. Uh, Did I get any painting done for our Tale of Painters? No. (laughs) No. Uh, I've moved, 
So like I've unpacked my zombie miniatures, but funny thing is like, I haven't found the necromancer I started oh painting. So like, yeah, I started painting the necromancer. He, I, I think like I, shocker, I've got a lot of miniatures. What? Yeah. So like before the move, I left my mortar army at our club. I also then, like, after playing a game of 40k at the club, I left my blood angels army at the club. Uh, <laughs> this is sort of a kind of a routine I have when when uh, I'm about to move. I just leave my miniatures at people's places, being like, "Can I just leave this here for a while so I don't have to move it <laughs> when I'm moving?" Um, but still. I've had a lot of miniatures to pack carefully uh, in miniature bags and in cardboard boxes with packing material. And I've unpacked most of them, but I've yet to come across that necromancer. Um, I have come across my other undead models, so it might be that I'll actually just undercoat some of the others and I'll try and get more painting done soon. But what I have started painting is one uh, part of it is a commission where I'm painting some uh, deathcore of Krieg, a, a kill team to a pretty basic level. It's not gonna be a complicated paint job. So yeah, yeah, I do commissions, although I'm not currently open to new ones. Thought I'd put that out there. But I'm also painting Legolas, Legolas, Gimli, Gimli. Wait, wait did you turn into Skaven? Because you're say, saying names twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th there's this thing when you get a mispack and you can get more stuff, and then you get another mispack, and then you can get more stuff. So, like, I'm painting the three hunters for a friend, and I've got like, so we ended up with three Legolasi and three Gimlisses <laughs> and one Aragorn. So like I'm keeping a Gimli and a Legolas for myself. So I'm painting five hunters. I see. The five hunters. Yeah. Did you uh, paint anything? Well, yes, I did. Actually, I, I've been very active this, this year so far, I think. There are, I, I've been trying to do something model related every day that I'm at home. And I think like nice. I've missed two days. And of course, like I've, I've also been traveling for a bit over a weekend and for a long weekend and stuff like that. So I haven't been able to do anything then, but I built and painted uh, the Glotkin for our tale of agers thing it will be appearing oh you painted one model well it's it's three models <laughs> because th there's three brothers and each one is <laughs> the model in itself so three models there and <laughs> right the the big the big guy yes, is yes, one of the brothers he is i, I think he right. was the youngest yeah. brother but i can't remember the lore exactly anyway mm -hmm. like i've it's otherwise done, but I need to do a resin pour, and I'm a bit scared about that still, to finish the base. 
And yeah. once that is done, I'll I'll be posting it on my Instagram. Then I also yeah, I also painted uh, two models for Malifaux. I painted Winona Finnegan, and then I painted Nexus One. Nexus One was a repaint because I really didn't like how I had painted her, it, them earlier, and made a new, much darker, much more moody scheme, and I kind of liked how that turned out. And then Winona. Mm, I really like it. You should hop onto Distracted Hobbyist. Yes, Distracted, distracted underscore Hobbyist. Underscore hobbyist. Yeah. It too. And there's, there's at least, at the moment, there's Winona, which was an exercise in painting white and trying not to make her look cross-eyed. I succeeded at one and failed at the other. And uh, then uh, <laughs> I'm going to be posting my Nexus soon, probably before this podcast comes out. So you could probably see it at that point. But also, I've also been doing a lot of bases. I had a long time where I was unsure how to base my Explorers faction, and I didn't want to do just boring cobblestones. So I made mm. fabulous cobblestones instead. You did indeed. I decided to try multiple colored cobblestones and then adding like uh, discarded papers on them and a few puddles and uh, maybe a little bit of grass or weed. And they look okay. They, I, I think I, they succeeded pretty well. And I especially like the one where yeah, I got I so a paper on it that says spiders. <laughs> <laughs> then I ran out of milliput, so I have yeah. still four bases I need to need to make for for that keyword. Mm. But that's pretty much. I like making bases. Yeah, making bases is lots of fun, but it's also a very like thought-intensive process to build the first one when you're trying to find a new basing scheme. Building the mm. first one is a lot of thinking. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically what I did for hobby this this uh, last month. So I think we should I think we should welcome our guest in next. Sounds like a plan. So today we have our first guest on the podcast, David Brown from the UK also known as Clouseau. And so, David, can you tell me, how did you get into the hobby? Well, I did a bit of gaming when I was at school, so back in the 70s, you know, before you guys were around, and um, did a bit of um, yeah, Toy Soldiers and um, some Air War games at 300th scale. And I went off to university and didn't do anything because there was no scene there. Uh, it was actually my two sons that got me back into gaming by them saying that for Christmas they wanted something called Warhammer 40,000. And so um, we ended up for Christmas buying them, I think it was, would that have been third edition starter box, which is Dark Eldar and Space Marines. And basically I was encouraging them with the painting. I, I managed to pick up some 
uh, jean stealers in a charity shop. So I was painting jean stealers and they were painting Space Marines and Dark Elder. And then I was taking them to Games Workshop every week to, for them to learn to play. And I was obviously stood at the back also learning how to play. And that's, so that would have been early nineties. Um, and my, my little, uh, force of eight G stealers turned into 8,000 points. That, of they have a tendency to do that. And wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. The little buggers do sport a bit. Um, so we, we played 40 K and then, you know, that, that carries on and I did a bit of fantasy. And then it would have probably been early 2000s. We had a local store and they had a demo of a game called Confrontation from Rackham, which is a fantasy skirmish game. Mm-hmm. And that really fired me and my son, Tim, who was the main player. Then his, his older brother had sort of gone on to computer games. And we, we loved the game. We started playing that and then got into other skirmish games um started going to events um and then it's been skirmish games ever since i've got rid of most of my um big armies all my fantasy i've still got my tyranids because you can't get rid of your first of course army, not. You? um yeah so so that's where i am i'm playing uh playing exclusively skirmish games up to sort of squad size um that's right. So you mentioned that you started going to events. So do you remember what the first tournament you participated in was since we're talking about organizing tournaments today? Um, we started going, I suppose, to local store tournaments, but it would have been 40k. So just local, local, you know, I don't know, probably a dozen players, maybe at the local store. Um, first one we went to away from the store was was a pairs tournament at uh, Warhammer World, uh, which was a not not a brilliant experience for various reasons. Um, but then we started doing so when we got into confrontation, they were the first probably really well organised by external people coming in and running events and us going away to to to, to, to tournaments and they were really good. Um, group to to learn um about the sort of the the social side as well as the the gaming side of um of the hobby that sounds sounds very interesting when did you start organizing tournaments yourself uh probably i would have probably have done a a confrontation one at the local store so that would have been Ooh, I don't know, mid 2000s, 2005, 2006, something like that. So, so you're nearing on 20 um, years of experience. Because there was a good, <laughs> something like that, yes. So would you remember about that first tournament, anything special or? No, that was too long ago, <laughs> too, too long ago. Um. Do you have any idea how many tournaments yeah. you've TO? No. <laughs> At the moment, I'm because I, I run mainly Malifaux uh, events, and I'm currently running seven or eight a year. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. And then I 
do occasionally run other events which you probably not really class them as tournaments but you know sort of gaming a gaming day for for other some of the smallish games so i don't think i did one yet last year but the year before i did one for stargrave which was just eight players oh yeah cool um but um usually the same ideas as you use for a tournament but just using it for a for sort of a day's gaming with a um you know with a widow because you know, you've got to have a widow but i guess but um it's the same sort of idea and it's some of the some of the ideas of running a, an eight player day is the same as running a, a hundred player event you know you're still using the same sort of um basic principles so how many different games have you run tournaments for then do you have any idea or events um confrontation 8043 Malifaux would be the main three, I guess. Um, yeah, I think those are probably the main three systems that I've actually run competitive events for, and then um, you know, software events for things like Eldorado and um, Stargrave. Um, that's probably it, yeah. Also, I want to ask since this is a podcast about hobby. How is your hobby doing? Have you been doing any painting lately? Yeah, I was painting this morning. So my main project so far this year has been preparing for a um, 7TV Dracula um, campaign. It's not really a campaign. It's a, set, it's a series of five interlinked games, which you, you buy as a feature pack. And that's required about 70 or 80 figures. So some of the models that I've already got, some I've bought unique for the game, and then some I've drafted in from other game systems. So I was short of some uh, asylum inmates, so I drafted in some Malifaux, Guilty, and um, other asylum figures. So I'm just painting the last four of those up at the moment. Oh, cool. Is it some um, sort of horror so skirmish game? Or... So 7TV is a generic skirmish game based on the idea of it being a tv show so you build a cast so you have you have a heroic side and a villainous cast so it can be we I played on monday and it was a spy um sort of james bond type spy and his um crew breaking into a the, the evil villain's base to try and capture the prisoner which they didn't get anywhere near uh, unfortunately for my <laughs> my opponent but but that's the the idea is you, you it's it's um it's a nice little game and you can play almost anything it's got it's got genres like fantasy genre or adventure genre or pulp um and so you can just make up make up things and i i found out i was sorting through some cedar and found out uh, like a prison cell that i think it's for walking dead like a prison block and so i adapted that with some of the terrain and made a story up and then we played that that story um and we'd probably play it again but maybe slightly differently change the layout a little bit because it was a little bit biased one way um, seems like a, a so, very yeah, interesting so, game that really uh promotes creativity absolutely I'll absolutely because you can play almost anything yeah now the company is called crooked dice okay that does ring a bell yeah, they do a lot of miniatures. They've got a massive range of all sorts of uh, miniatures. 
and it's um although i should be painting up some malifaux crews at the moment i've got some i think i've got three half painted malifaux crews mm. um but i've just been reading uh a set of graphic novels called granville grandville uh which is by a guy called brian talbot and it's uh they're anthropomorphic animals and uh, so the the main the the main heroes is a is a badger detective inspector <laughs> labrock who's a badger and his sidekick is a is uh is ratsy who's a rat strangely enough um and that's inspired me to, to, to have a mad idea of making a cast for 7tv which is anthropomorphic animals so crooked dice do a few of the granville figures they did, um, but they they've just got look like the main heroes so i've literally yesterday ordered some policemen and a few other figures and some um, animal heads from another company and uh that's a totally insane project for me to do <laughs> over the next couple but of months it sounds fun there's something quite uh quite fun with anthropomorphic uh fantasy somehow like i remember reading the old a few of the Redwall books when i was younger mm -hmm. um, yeah, I play Burrows and Badgers, so that's that's obviously uh, anthropomorphic, but, yeah. but a set set figures, set universe. Whereas this is, uh, I've got a bit more freedom with this, and it's um, I do enjoy a bit of kit bashing and and, and modifying models. Um, so it's great to just to build a kit or or paint some some uh, metal figures, sometimes. But sometimes it's great just to mess about and and try something a bit different. Sounds awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, it sounds really fun. But getting back on topic of uh, tournaments, I want to ask you, why do you arrange events and tournaments? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I actually enjoy it. Um, I think my gaming has become more playing for pleasure rather than playing to do well, still play to win, obviously. And I'd like to, I'd like to, my aim this year is to finish in the top half of the tournament, which I haven't done for the last at least 18 months. Um, um, but I, I think just seeing people enjoy themselves, have a good, have an enjoyable day. I, I, I do get um, some enjoyment out of that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, as long as I'm enjoying running the events, um, I shall continue, continue running them uh, another couple of years of in tournaments at least in me you said i've been doing that a long time now <laughs> yeah i mean you're a big big part of the uh uk scene uh what do you say Se seven tournaments a year but if, if we count the, the the weekend that we've just done which was the masters and two one-day tournaments all at the same time there's three then yeah it works out about seven yeah seven that's a lot a year. that's impressive this is it's like uh yeah Community's got to be really appreciative of that. I hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In comparison, I do about two, or two, three tournaments a year, and since yeah, that would be sensible. Yeah, maybe. Uh, since Sweden is a, a small country, well, it's a long country, but <laughs> tall one, but uh, not very many people. The player base is kind of small, and we've got quite a big like geographic uh, distance between us. So our tournaments are generally generally around eight to 12 players. Like um, I think 
we've certainly had bigger ones on like a few of the nationals and stuff, but uh, generally it's eight to 12, 14 if we're lucky. So uh, we're very lucky in the UK that we're a relatively compact country. We've got a very good community that continues to grow. Mm. And this year for Malifaux, it is insane. We've had something like six or seven tournaments already this year. Wow. Um, in various places in the country. So um, from Scotland down to um, South Coast, I'm running one on the South Coast next weekend, which is only going to be a tiny one um, at a show. Um, and so it, what's, what is good is that we're getting new people coming in and running events. So, so part of what I'm do, I've been I've been doing is is supporting those those new players. So, mm. um, uh, a guy called Lee Walstow uh, wrote a guide which I've then contributed to as well. So we've got a bit of a how to run a tournament um, sort of guide, oh, cool. um, which we've written. Plus, we've got um, sort of like standard documents that we can just give to people as a basis for. Here's a rules pack. Um, which you can then use as a basis and you can change what you want in that rules. Pack. That's great. Um, um, scoring sheets, uh, this sort of things. We've obviously um, got some tournament software for the UK, which um, we use over here as, a, as an alternative, which is Bag of Tools, which is a, an alternative to Longshanks. Um, um, so there's a lot out there to help the um, newer um, tournament organizers and they're bringing in some interesting variations and because uh, they want to try their ideas so it's really good that each of the TOs has got their own little um, unique elements or, or bits that you could recognize that I run things slightly differently from ours or from uh, Lewis up in Scotland and Kai yeah, and Jan and all these guys are running events and it's great that there's the, there's the variety so mm. one of the things I don't do is give out the straps and schemes beforehand because I think that's part of the game is turning up on the day and getting the straps and schemes whereas most of the players um, give them out in advance because they it helps um, players build build uh, crews in advance yeah. Uh, Jan up in Huddersfield has started using uh, clocks for his events. Um, so it, which, which, you know, the community's trying that out and seeing how that works. So, um, cool. you know, the, 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 not every tournament runs the same and that's the, the actual games run the same, but the actual, all the stuff around and the, the whole experience at an event will be slightly different at each event, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. We've got a little bit of that as well. For, for a long time, we've only had pretty much tournaments in Malmö, Göteborg, and uh, Göteborg's Gothenburg, um, for listeners being <laughs> yes. confused. Uh, and the third city called Umeå, which is way up north, uh, which is, <laughs> it can be a little bit of a challenge to go to a uh, one-day event up there, although I would like to do it again. I've been, been a while since I've been up there playing. Like in, in Malmö, it's, it's a little funny, like uh, Gothenburg and Umeå play single master or not singles. Sorry, you can't hire masters into your crew, yeah. like additional masters. But uh, in Malmö, they don't. 
they generally allow master hires, but it's people don't do it a lot. So like I, I remember third game in a tournament, uh, my, my opponent said, maybe I'll hire a master. And I was like, oh, right, we can do that, right? Oh, huh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've actually gotten, uh, there. there is a, a community starting to, to grow in, in Gotland as well. So there is a tournament in Visby coming up and there will be more we've, we've heard. So that's really cool because like the challenge here has been to like, there haven't been that many events. And the reason I TO is, uh, cause I, I, I want there to be tournaments. I want to play in tournaments and that's why I, mm -hmm. I run tournaments. I know a yeah. few people have been. That's a, that's a, and that's a really good reason. Yeah. That's a really like, good reason to like, start. Really if, good. if you, if you want something, you got to do something. Like you gotta do Absolutely. it yourself. And some people have been a, bit, a little bit like, wait, you, you play in your tournaments, shouldn't you just be a ringer? I'm like, yeah, but there are barely any tournaments left for me to go to. So like. Mm. Yeah, it is difficult. I try not to play at my tournaments and I won't play if it's more than about a dozen players. Mm. Um, I won't play in them because I think I should be, you know, making sure everything runs smoothly. Yeah, I think um, there's a real difference I, if you but, get up. Yeah, I've got a really small one coming yeah. up this weekend, um, and I shall probably end up playing. If 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 you end up with odd numbers, I will definitely play. But um, yeah, like the the amount of people obviously matters as well. I I don't think I'd play in a twenty four people tournament, for example. But hmm. yeah, but I, there there has been a few, like people have been a little bit disappointed a few of them that they've uh traveled and then got on a buy and they're like i want to play three games mm. it's a very valid critique I, I think i had problem. the idea that it would be strange to for me to grab the buy because it kind of gives me an advantage but mm -hmm. i think our approach has been that we're going to be more going towards perhaps toing a, a little bit as a group and thus one of us, like we, we, we want to try and guarantee people traveling to our events now in Gothenburg to have three games so we can, uh, as like Gothenburg uh, group, in fact, I, grab the bikes. I seem to remember coming across to Gothcon and you playing in the in a tournament and playing and losing to you as usual um, <laughs> when I play you. Um, but you're not counting in the results and I, that means I came second. So I was very happy with that. What do you say? I'm not counting the results? You you didn't count yourself in the results. All right. Yeah, I've done it a little bit differently. Yeah. Uh, so, David, you mentioned these uh, <clears throat> materials for uh, beginning uh, tournament organizers. Do you think those could be made available more widely so that it, others in Europe or in America could get their hands on these if, if needed? Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're available to anybody who asks. They're not, they're not restricted. It's um, they're they're just there. So if I see somebody um posting up that they're thinking of running events, um, then I'll um offer to, you know, to offer some help and um, start up a conversation with them, and then uh, share the information. We have a it's usually a bit of back and forth because uh, not everything's um, in there and they want to ask questions or 
uh, maybe you know what uh, what companies do you use to, to to make stuff or to supply stuff? Um, who do who do you ask about price support? All this sort of thing. Um, we've got pointers in there, but the whole point is to help people run successful events because we all want that. We all want events to go to. And um, as Ellen has said, you know, in your local area, if nobody's really one run run an event, see how you get on. There's always people around to help or uh, and then supporting people, um, new TOs running events, you know, go along with support as well. So, you know, all those things, all those things are happening and we have an extremely healthy scene in the UK at the moment. Um, one of the things I pull together is a calendar of events, which we just run on, on a Google calendar, which is a freely available thing. And um, there's almost every weekend, there's, there's a tournament on somewhere in the UK and some, you know, some weekends, two or even three at different places within the, within the country. And that's that's very healthy. Yeah, it, it's getting to a point where there's almost too many now. <laughs> and I think so. I think there'll be a um, the numbers were certainly getting high. We were selling out events um, last year quite regularly. Um, TOs were selling out events because we just reached the capacity of the venues. Um, so one of the things I've been looking at is, is trying different venues. So I'm running one in March back at my local store, who's just expanded. Um, we used to run events there and then, you know, sort of 16 player was, was getting pretty full. Now he's got enough space where I've, I've got enough space for 40 players. I also, um, use a local village hall, um, and that can take probably 48 players. If we need it and we can play into the evening so we could do a four round um event for example so finding a venue is it's quite often one of the uh the biggest um barriers yeah because sometimes the local a local store will want to run an event and they want to run it and they you generally do a an average job mm. um i think bringing people in from the from the community to run events is much better mm. um, in, in on the whole because we know our particular games um, whereas the store owner is interested in just getting people through the door and um, and then tends to let somebody so one of those groups run it anyway so um, we've got some, you know there's most of the tournaments in the UK run at stores there are some that run at um, um, church uh, church halls or or that sort of thing um, yeah, Cool Park in so, yeah. the UK yeah. is being able to grab a beer at the tournament. I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> and my local gaming store's got a bar as well. So nice. I've enjoyed several of that, but but yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I play much better. Yes, certainly. like I, I play better in a hangover. <laughs> But uh, I wanted to ask, uh, since you said that you've had several tournaments in the UK already this year, more than there ha have been weekends, how many people average on these tournaments? And uh, if there are several tournaments on the same weekend, how badly do they cannibalize each other? So numbers, I mean, at the weekend, it was 20, we had 26 players on the Saturday. But bear in mind, there were then also 16 players playing in the Masters. 
so we had 40 something players on site and then on the on the sunday we had 32 players and, and then the eight in the um in the, the masters so that venue we can run 30 32 players it's comfortable you can run 36 but it tends to get a bit tight in that particular venue in daventry um most of the events are running around 20 mid 20s to mid 30s in terms of size um and then some are sort of related to the gts perhaps a little bit bigger than that although two-day events tend to be slightly lower in numbers because a lot of people obviously can't make a two-day event mm, yeah and then last year last nationals last year was 110 players so quite a different um scale but there are small there are smaller events as well it's a little bit of a challenge um, we face it, sometimes like yeah people find it difficult to make time to play a two-day event but then people also find it difficult to travel far and just play one day some sometimes mm -hmm. so it's like yeah so we we have less of a problem with the travel yeah uh, in, in the uk to get to it there's, there's generally an event a month within two hours of mm -hmm. most people uh, but people will go up to will travel up to out to wales or up to scotland for the gt for a two-day event as you say it's worth the worth the travel um so i've been up to scottish gt quite a few times because it's a weekend and you can you can make a weekend of it um yeah, had, had a great time and then the scottish other question GT. <laughs> yes uh and then the other question was was the cannibalization so one of the reasons for setting the calendar up which again has been running 10 years or more i guess was we did have a situation where there were two tournaments very close to each other geographically um now having a calendar and and we're putting in events six months in advance um allows people to to spread their events out so we haven't got an event in milk Keynes and an event in oxford which are you know 60 miles away from each other on the same weekend though we you know we will offset um so sometimes it's a little bit of getting getting in first and getting dates in the diary yeah uh sums obviously relies on the availability of the venue so especially if you're running at a store um they're obviously every store wants to be running a tournament every every saturday and every sunday um so obviously people who are relying on on stores depending on the on the on the store and their relationship with the um the store owner fitting those in but generally we're not having a problem with um events because we're planning ahead as a as a community how about you eleanor i know that you're holding a tournament on the 16th of march while there is a other tournament in gotland on the 16th of march as well do you think that they will affect each other on player amount? I don't know. I've been wondering. Like the effect would be perhaps like plus one minus one person or two. So sure, it could. Uh, I'm not sure. We don't have enough players in Gothenburg to play in a, a tournament just by ourselves. Uh, I know there's going to be some people in Malmö probably traveling up to us and a few people from different places probably. I hope it doesn't matter. Uh, we posted it first. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know about Gotland. We know where they were going to hold it. I guess I could ask. 
like, hey, uh, you were going to do a tournament, when are you going to do it? Uh, life's stressful, it happens. I, um, they, they said it, prob it probably won't matter too much, so I was like, okay, we'll, we're not going to risk it. So what, what methods are you using to promote the events which potentially would have, would have could avoid that sort of clash? Uh, we posted on uh, our Malfo Sweden uh, Facebook group and on the Discord. Um, could have probably asked them like, hey, when are you going to run your event? Uh, we had some trouble just finding a week in the works for us, though. So, mm. and that worked for our venue, because that's a big consideration as well. We, we have a pretty good venue right outside of Gothenburg, which is very easy to get to from the central station. It's not very far at all. It's like, it's barely a longer time traveling there than it is to the Gothcom venue. Uh, so, okay. and th that's a really nice place with terrain and stuff available. Uh, it's just that it's quite busily booked. So, hmm. At the end of the day, you've got to have a venue to run it at. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to have an organizer to organize it. Exactly. And their availability is going to be a priority. Mm -hmm. And then obviously trying to avoid other factors and other other, other clashing events is a, is, a, is, a, is a central consideration. Yeah, me and Henrik tend to talk a, a bit about uh, when we are going to hold events. Henrik Tio's in Malmö. So we tend to talk about that mm -hmm. so that we don't cannibalize on each other's events because that can just make nothing happen because <laughs> we, we generally like Gothenburg and Malmö tend to play together a lot. Um, I like to, or at least I, at least they come up here very often. It's often just me going down there, <laughs> defending against the Danes. Um, so uh, in Malmö, you have a lot of Danish players. They they were very cocky sometimes. They they once declared it the Danish Nationals because there were more Danes <laughs> yes. than Swedes at one of the tournaments. They did not win. Uh, <laughs> no, they are lovely people. Uh, they're they're a yes. great bunch. Always great to have them. Yeah, I've always enjoyed coming there as Swedish Nationals. Sorry, I didn't hear it. I said I always enjoy the Swedish, the Swedish stroke, the Danish nationals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, now let me try to get back to organizing this chaos. Uh, now we were talking about dates. So how do you decide the dates for your tournaments? Like, uh, do you poll players when they can play or do you just decide this is the day we're playing? And nope. do you think there is a benefit to polling? This is the day we're playing. <laughs> polling players uh, to be honest at the moment um it's the it's the availability of in, in my case my availability and um venue availability as i said there's so many events now that um players players can go to whichever ones they they want um you know some some of the players are, are attending two or three events a month some can obviously only um attend one um some will only attend their local local events some are traveling two three hours to events so i don't i don't think any of us need to 
particularly poll when we're going to have it because those other restrictions are a much bigger factor than whether I'm going to get 30 players or 32 players at an event, you know. Um, so generally, we're, we're getting we're getting high numbers. I think that with the number of events that will will drop slightly, um, but overall, I think it's very positive. We get we're getting um a lot. There's there's new players coming into the community all the time, um, turning up at events and having a good day. How about you, Eleanor? Do you just decide the date based on the availability of the venue, or do you poll your players if when they can play? Uh, us Gothenburg players have sort of turned into a little hive mind. We talk amongst them ourselves when we're going to tee up something. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I have done that in the past, I think, but we, we don't like, we talk on our little Gothenburg Discord and uh, see if there's a date that works for us. And I look. Well, first I tend to look at the venue like, okay, we've got these possible dates and then I see which one works for you guys. And then that kind of decides it, except all, as I mentioned also, I, I communicated with Henrik as well. Um, so that's pretty much it. But often people just don't know, like Sometimes there's a long time until we get application e emails, uh, which is a little bit of a challenge. I see. Well, moving to actually arranging the events, David, what would you see, say is needed to be able to arrange a tournament from the organizer? in terms i'm not quite sure what you mean in terms of what the venue itself or so obviously you need a venue which has got the either if it's a gaming store they've generally got tables the right sort of size but how many tables have they got how much space have they got one thing i've learned a lot from running events is make sure you've got enough space i was looking through some because i'm going back to uh my local store to run a, run a malavo event in March, I actually dug out some old photographs from 2000 and I think it was 2014 and saw how little space the players had. Mm. Um, we were playing two games on a six foot table. So it's a three foot game. <laughs> so there was no space yeah. between tables. Now we work on a minimum of four foot space. Four foot by four foot is our sort of my standard um, space. We don't always achieve that and trying to achieve it in different ways but also space between tables so um, chairs back to back um, enough space for people to, to move to stand up um, to see what's going on so that sort of environmental space to take into account when working out um, how, what the capacity is do we are we going to need to provide boards are we going to need to provide mats and terrain and if so, um, you know, is that something the TO can do, uh, which in my case isn't generally a problem because I've got quite a lot of um, scenery and mats, but other players 
uh, we'll need to think about that and that so they're drawing in one of the considerations for example is not just how many people can I fit but how much how many people can bring aboard a of parade and uh, a lot of the TOs are incentivizing for that you know so extra raffle tickets or um, uh, ran an event at, down at Wayland where it, you've got free free lunch um, say lunch um, yeah um, but um, that's 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 one of the one of the big considerations I think is is how much space um and how much um gear do you need to actually run the event in terms of terrain and maps for example what about like in your headspace what does a tournament organizer need in their headspace to like successfully do the tournament and not like <laughs> come out of there i hate everybody and i hate this game <laughs> So um, one thing I think a lot of people ignore is the financial aspect. Um, so obviously we, we, you know, on the whole we're running events. We're not making them. We're not here to make a profit. Um, I think in the early days it was definitely putting some money aside for to buy additional mats, for example. But making that clear to to the players, you know, we're part of the income from the tournament is going to have more mats. So next next yeah. tournament we can have an extra two to to get two boards. So an extra four players because we've got more stuff. Um and I think as long as TOs are clear about that, that obviously occasionally we'll run a, a charity tournament, for example. So some of that money will be going directly to the to the charity from the entry fee. Um but the financial aspect is something I know from talking to other newer guys is people that they don't think about it's oh we got we got you know an income of how much is, is is the going rate at the moment but they don't think about what they've got to to pay for so paying for the the hire of the venue or a table fee maybe a, a store you've got um some sort of prizes to to pay for in terms of trophies um we don't tend to award other prizes at the UK events. There are a few exceptions. We tend to just have a prize pool, which we we raffle off, so that everybody has a has a chance to win something. Again, something that came from the community and feedback from the players who were who were regularly winning events and just saying, you know, this doesn't seem fair. Let's let's spread it out. Mm. Um, so you've got the cost of that, but um, some sort of a lot of events have some sort of um, memento or swag. Um, which could vary. Um, personally, I try and keep it relatively small, but as the events get bigger, you get a bigger pot of money because the venue, um, certainly if you're hiring a venue, that's a fixed a fixed cost. Um, so the more people you get, the, the less per player that works out. Um, so certainly having, having a, a good idea of how the finances are going to work, depending on whether you get 10 players, 20 players or 30 players at your event um, is an important consideration. Yes, that's, I find that's very a very important thing for prospective tournament organizers to think about that it's not just showing up and holding mm -hmm. an event. There is a whole whole process of thought yeah. that goes in before that. 
Yeah, because even 20 players, that's a 300 pound um, that you're having to deal with. The Nationals is four and a half thousand pound event, mm. which you've got to you've got to manage that amount of money. Um, uh, and then find you know, at the last minute there's a there's a, a cost that you didn't consider could be a bit of a bit of a bit of a problem but, sure. um, which we've had the last two years but um i keep a separate account i've got a separate paypal account that i use just for running events um and that, that separates it out from my you know sort of daily hobby spend or whatever i see that seems smart how big is your daily hobby spend I don't know whether I can say that. I don't know. No, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to buy models at the moment. And then Same. yesterday, I I spent over a hundred pounds with two different uh, two different companies for this uh this um anthropomorphic animal project that I just thought of. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I it, one of my arguments for starting Explorer Society was like in my head. I was like. No, but it, it makes sense. I want to support weird games as a company, so I should buy the new faction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, nice. I'm sure I'm sure they've appreciated that. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. Returning to paying for events as a player and so on, PayPal is seems like a pretty good way. I've had this problem when going to Sweden in events that when I get there, the tour event organizer just says, just swish me the money. And it's like, yes, yeah, swish doesn't exist outside yeah. of Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, know that one. <laughs> so, did I say that? Yes, you, you did. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. But you talk Swedish. It's, it's, it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you ever, ever like take people that will pay cash at the tournament or do you only take like PayPal? Uh, no, I'll take cash, um, especially from some of the local players because, you know, you see them um, when you're, when you're having games, but all events are pay up, a pay up front. There's no pay at the day because you, you need to, to partly because we're, we're filling events. So if, if people are willing, you know, willing to pay, you can't afford for people not to turn up on the day people are there's always going to be problems people are going to be ill um family things crop up so that there are um so the weekend i think we had a couple of drops each day um but they're paid so you've covered your costs and you're you, so that that financial analysis that you've that you've made in the event is still um so valid so one of the things um that we've done recently within the community is then made it clear on a fixed dates so you 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 know there's no refunds after you know maybe two weeks before the event or something like that because that's when you've got to have paid your you know whoever's making some items for you making some trophies you've spent all your money generally before the event um, and maybe you've got to pay for the venue on the day um but most of the most of the spend mm. is happening before the event, and you can't afford to turn up, and for five five or six people not to to turn up and not pay. Um, so yeah, everything is it's effect, we're effectively selling tickets, although there's no physical physical ticket, um, and just maintain lists. Actually, that's the one thing I think that people are using the the weird forum a lot less for tournaments, but it's it's the only 
currently the only feasible place for putting up a list of players. Discord doesn't really have the have the facility for doing that. Certainly not the way we we currently use it. Um, whereas all the discussion is on Discord. Um, the events advertised on Facebook and on the Weird Forum, and the list of players is on on the Weird Forum. So people can go and check. Oh, I sent Dave the payment, but did he actually get the payment? Because I'm not going to reply to every every payment that I get. Um, and so they can just check the list on the on the forum. But certainly, over the last three years, the the, the use of the forum has dropped off dramatically from a tournament organising point of view. Yeah, that sounds sounds good. You probably don't need to do any other marketing than announce it anymore. But I, I know that you do some did some marketing for the UK nationals at least. Um, oh yes. I'm a member of an awful lot of uh, Facebook Malifaux groups around the, around the around Europe, in fact, because <laughs> we do we do like to see our overseas players at the nationals. It's uh, it's an extra um, extra dimension to the event and an extra challenge, especially for the um, some of the top players, who, uh, who it's great for them. They they enjoy it because they get to play some different players. Um, uh, which I think is a, is, a, is a good challenge for them. Yes, definitely. I think that's good. And like the the more mixing of the metas we can achieve, the better. I think mm -hmm. learning, meeting new people is one of the best parts of the hobby. Don't you agree? Yeah, and, and that's something that we haven't talked about is the social aspect of it. So there is a lot of the the, the UK community. It's pretty it's pretty strong from a social point of view. So the two day events, um, there'll generally be a social, you know, go for a meal on the on the on the Saturday evening, um, maybe you know even even on the Friday evening if people are travelling um, on the Friday. Um, nationals actually less so because it's such a an intense day um, with four rounds followed by three rounds um, and people are spread over a wider area. Actually the the Saturday social at the Nationals has become quite small. Um, I think we had about a dozen people, but I think there were four nationalities there. So I was making sure that I pulled in the the, the overseas players. So we had um, um, guy from Bahrain, um, Dutch guy, Danish guy, uh, the French guys weren't there this year, but yeah, so you know there, there is that really strong uh, community side and it's and it's great just to just to touch base with with people uh have a chat and talk about even maybe even talk about non-malifaux things which... what <laughs> yeah, is there anything else than malifaux <laughs> <laughs> oh yes beer there's lots of other game systems I know. other game systems <laughs> and beer yeah and beer yeah those all sound like good things so how do you decide whether it is a one-day event or a two-day event and how many rounds it is? <laughs> it's, the easy one is the rounds. We run three-round events because that works out good from a timing point of view. That allows people to travel there and back in a day. I run one four-round event because one of the problems we have with a three-round event is with 30-odd players, it's getting very tight. Yeah. 
at the top. Um, in fact, um, tournament last the other weekend for the Masters, we had um, equal first. So same same VP, same TP, same diff. Um, and the fourth round was was a request from again from the players to run a four round event. So I run one four round event, but the numbers for that, to be honest, are slightly lower because it's a it's then quite a late it's a relatively late finish. Um, yeah, four rounds in a day, day is a challenge. And, and, and four, four rounds in a, in event that's eleven hours of uh, sorry two for six eight nine hours of actual gaming. I've done that in a room it's quite, without it's, yeah, it's, proper ventilation and no windows. <laughs> Although I have a nice big village hall I run it in, so that's not a problem. It was but, hell. And there's a pub next door. <laughs> yeah. So as I was saying, the the the, the environment is a really important yeah. factor. Yeah. And we've played in we've all played in venues with very low roofs with lots of echo, high noise levels, as you say, uh, high heat, low, low air. And certainly one of the things I'm looking at, new venues. So I'm looking for a new venue for the nationals next uh, this year. Mm -hmm. Um because the venue we've used the last two years isn't available um that's one of the one of the factors is you know is, is the whole environment so i i will go and visit on um the venue um and i'm not just doing it on a, on a couple of pictures and a uh, a plan about whether i think it might be big enough or not um sorry what was the other part of the, the, other part of the question class was the first part when do you decide that the event is a two-day event instead of a one-day event? I think some of it's availability. I tend to run one-day events, um, apart from the nationals, obviously. Um, I have generally two-day events aren't as well supported because people find it more difficult to do two-day events. So within the calendar sort of built in are the three we have a three gts for england scotland and wales have a gt which are all two-day events six rounds and then we have the nationals uh two-day events seven rounds um i think last year we had maybe one or two other two-day events this year it looks like there'll be three or four um what i've done in the past is run the week, if I'm running a weekend event, it's to run it as two one-day events. Um, so tends which have which has been like a serious tournament on the Saturday, and then maybe something like a story encounter on the Sunday. Um, so it's very much down to the, the um, each of the TOs what they want to run. I see. That's a very good answer for that because we we are actually in Finland planning on doing a two-day event in in the fall just to get the Swedes to move over this way as well at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think especially if you're traveling, as I was saying, you know, I will travel up to, to Scotland for the Scottish GT because it's a weekend and, and I'm, I'm going to get two days of gaming. Um, I know there are people who travel up there for, for the one day events that they hold up there, but it's too far for me. Yeah, I actually did that um, thing once with where we had two one-day events back to back, and then an overall winner. Wasn't that yes, you, class? Was <laughs> yeah, you were the overall. Yes, winner. I also won both of the single <laughs> <And> events. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of works out. Yeah, it checks out. Yeah, I like I, I like that uh, format. 
Yeah, I think it's a good format. Yeah, it does. It does give a bit more flexibility. Yeah, it's a bit more flexibility for those who can only make one day. Yeah, and those that travel still get to play two days. So, I th I think that's that's a mm -hmm. very nice thing. We were two from Finland at that event. Came over and drove <clears throat> five hours from Stockholm down to Gothenburg to actually get to that event. So, it was worth it. How big do you think an event needs to be before you have to take on assistant organizers? <laughs> Good question. I've run nationals on my own most of the time because every time I get an assistant, we end up with odd numbers and they end up playing. <laughs> because, you know, as, as we were discussing earlier, buys, buys are not nice on people inevitably they will they will happen um so yeah i think most years this year nationals i had um some help from people who weren't who weren't playing and uh like jesper turned up on the came on the sunday and was, and was brilliant help because if you're trying to get in scores run a painting competition add a raffle you need you know that's more than one person can manage um the other thing that we did this year for the nationals um, was have um, judges, which were actually players. My weakness is is rules and making rules decisions on, you know, obviously some very school. I, I don't. I'm not that level of player. Whereas we've got lots of strong players. So three of the players were player judges, and people could go and ask them a question, and they were happy to to do that and they each had a little flag on their table so people could tell where they were and, and um and it, it's a system that worked really well so that that helped for an additional help point of view um without having a detriment on the number of players because that's always the problem if you if you want to get a ringer it's somebody who's not potentially not going to play so why are they going to you know travel to to an event and and, and sit around you know, um, the organizers got the pleasure of organizing it and, and uh, doing all the bits and pieces between rounds and going around and calling calling time and that sort of thing um so as we were saying earlier a small event a dozen players you can afford to play if you've got an odd number of players um once it gets bigger than that probably not and then probably where you're getting into the 30s 40s having a second person is useful i mean i've got a lot of experience of running tournaments so i don't generally have a problem at 30 players just running it all on my own depending on the venue um and also the communities mainly experienced players so the painting competition almost runs itself in terms of players know to put their models down uh, we use uh, just letters and a uh, and a sheet so you put a letter down while you model uh, write your name on a list or write a letter against a named list uh, and then I'll come back and vote you know at the end of the end of the break and the newer players will just pick that up from the for the more experienced players so the the fact that we've got a regular community regularly going to events really does help the TO because the majority of people know what they're doing. They know at the end of the day to pack the, the box of terrain away, roll up the map, put it in the bag. Um, so we've got, you know, we've 
we've instigated things like that um, that help the smooth running of the of the event without the need necessarily to have multiple people um, organising stroke, you know, not playing. Yeah, that sounds that sounds logical, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Hmm. But you can't do that from a new community; it wouldn't work. No. Um, and that's why we need extra people at the at the um, at the nationals because a just from the sheer number of people, and b we've got people who uh, there's a lot more people who who aren't regularly coming to events, um, or people playing for, who are coming for a different um, a different meta. Yeah. And like when you talk about like packing up the stuff and putting it in boxes, you of course before the tournament have to pack pack everything up and put it on the tables so assuming you can't do it the night mm -hmm. before how much earlier does the to need to be on the tournament site to, to prepare all of this yeah. so my stuff is organized so that i have a box of terrain per table that is matched to a mat and inside the box is a sheet that shows how the table should be laid out and also includes the general like the terrain traits for the different sorts of terrain there can be some discussion but but the, the fact that there's a picture there means that anybody who's got some idea of um, the game can set a table out so uh last week for the masters weekend i was lucky that i could get into the venue and we could set up before the venue before the event which was really nice you just turn up on the day and get on with it um if you can't do that then arranging for a few people to turn up early and help you set up because it does take uh even if you've got um the organized boxes or people are bringing their own uh terrain so a lot of tournaments are, you know they're obviously getting people to bring stuff they can set up their own tables that still takes five ten minutes per table if you're relying on store terrain then obviously that takes longer because you've got to think about where the terrain's going to go. You've got to consider where the, especially where the markers are going to go, because there's now so many different marker positions with gaining grounds for, I think it's 23 potential marker positions, something like that. Um, and I always, it's, 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 like, it's always a, a slight dread when I see the new gaining grounds come out and have to think about how do I check 50 tables of terrain um, before the nationals to make sure that because now they've added in a slightly different you know marker position that previously i've got a building in the way of or you know yeah uh, they're quite a lot of them in the red the vaults yeah. strategy as well yeah ballots so um <laughs> okay yeah yeah i mean getting balanced tables is really difficult um uh, and even having pre-prepared tables there's, there's still discussion, and I, I do welcome feedback from the from the players, and I've, I've, I'm constantly updating the tables either in the layout or in some of the terrain traits. Um, so most recent feedback was I've got some ponds that were severe hazardous concealing, I think they were, and it was uh, it's a bit too much, Dave. <laughs> so, so we we, uh, we uh, I think we took the severe off. Um, but you still need a bit hazardous terrain occasionally, you know, just for a bit. Yeah, it's easily forgotten. Um, yeah. 
but it's also having that mix of terrain takes you can't have every terrain trait on a table you need variety i'm a great believer that the the board should have an impact on the game and on your or even on your crew selection yeah i don't think um, they should be completely symmetrical okay. as well yes i've got a mixture of of relatively symmetrical and uh, asymmetrical boards you've got to be a bit careful with asymmetrical that you don't have a massive advantage yeah. to the person who's the uh, the attacker um uh, i know a few a few players who would disagree with me uh, uh that uh, on that level my that my boards are, are you know asymmetric and <laughs> <laughs> they all seem to get the worst the worst table quarter or whatever um but you know we try and try, i try and make them as even as possible especially with you know four different deployments zones or four different deployment types, which is um, you know, obviously six different deployment zones. It, it makes life quite difficult to, uh, to, to design tables that have got enough terrain on. Um, and one thing that's recently noticed about um, with Game Grounds 4 is with the corners, you're now using the corners of the table more. I was looking at some photographs from um, Tournament in America uh, this weekend at Captain Con, where a lot of the tables were, it was almost like a circle of terrain around the middle, and then the corners were very free. Mm -hmm. And you know, is that the way it should be or not? I, I've tended to now start putting some terrain in the corners or towards the corners, so that if you do, it's a bit more difficult to get into the corners, but also if you're there, you've got a bit of protection, either a bit of cover or a bit of concealing or something like that. Whether that's the right or wrong i don't know i don't know which is the which is the correct i don't think there is a correct way of, of of doing it and i don't think there's a perfect way of setting the table up i think this thing about a map of how the table is supposed to look is a great thing it makes it much easier to use stuff like destructible terrain because after the game you know exactly where mm -hmm. you're supposed to place it instead of like just putting it somewhere random yeah, yeah. because i've been to tournaments where they are, have no idea and they have the, yeah that's destructible and then they remove it and then they don't know where to place it back after the game yeah but one of the other problems is people just moving terrain and putting they put their box first thing they do is to put the box on the edge of the table and move the terrain <laughs> and then later on they're complaining because the model <laughs> won't go through a gap or there isn't any cover or whatever and you go well yeah but you've moved the terrain you know you can't win. There's no, of there's course, no winning like, tournament organizing would be much easier if there were no players. <laughs> true. It's just Very like true. retail would be much better. Retail would be much better weekend. if there were no customers. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of like people who are less than pleasant, how how, how do you go about uh, dealing with a player who? is behaving badly or argumentative and is being in general difficult like Eleanor generally <laughs> take them to one side and have a have a discussion with them um, sometimes they'll recognize the the problem sometimes they won't um, we haven't had any problems recently i've had problems going back into, into history with having to uh to, to uh to talk to players um about either their behavior at the table or things that were being 
said away from the table between event between games um that's generally not happening at the moment but yeah it's it's you've got to try and deal with it so you know you don't do it in the middle of the room but you know pull them to one side go outside find a quiet space have a chat with them um most people at the end of the day are reasonable um and if they don't like it hopefully they don't come back to the next one have you ever had to eject anyone personally no um we did have an event where the to um did throw somebody out and what he did he obviously spoke to them and he also pulled in a couple of the more experienced um of the tos that were there um and, and the, so it's, it's, we had a quick a very very quick chat and we all agreed it was the right thing to do um and the player was on his way out um you know it's not a very nice thing to do but it was it's that you it's, you've got to do the right thing for all the players in the room and you know you were going to consider one particular person if you when you make a decision whatever that may be um but you are considering what's the best for you know however many players you've got and uh, that's got to you know that's going to be part of the part of the decision making process yeah and it can't be an easy place to be to have to say say to someone that you're you're now in the wrong and them being argumentative about it. Mm. Uh, it's the same thing with uh, with you know slow play is probably the most difficult um, thing to deal with because it's very difficult to identify that somebody's being deliberately yeah. slow playing. Players are, I think, generally unwilling to call it during 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 a during a game. Um, you tend to hear secondhand. Oh, after the game, oh that that guy was or that person was playing playing really slow or deliberately playing slow. Um, you know what could you do about yeah. it after a game? You can uh, if you're aware of somebody is playing slow, you could perhaps you know go and observe that game a little bit more frequently than you than you than you would. Obviously, it's very difficult walking around looking at games. It's one of the things I find very strange as a TO. As you wander around the room, perhaps when you're um, gathering some information or you're handing out raffle tickets or you're um, calling out time, you're looking at games, you've got no idea what's going on on that game. It's just a load of models on a, on a board and a couple of guys, you know, are talking to each other. Um, if you're aware that you've got a slow player, then, you know, spending some time at that board looking at what they're doing and then maybe having to have a have a word um but you can only do that if people are you know are raising the um raising the issue and that's one of, one of the things i would say to players is if you've got um something like that slow play you're not sure about whether a move's legal or you know somebody's messing about with the way they move the models or they measure things raise it with the to because don't you know don't get whinging about it to your mate afterwards um if the to's not aware of it they can't do anything about it maybe they can't do anything about it but at least they the, the, the to's needs to be aware that they can at least um consider whether there's a there's an action they can take yeah i mean it's very difficult it's very easy to as a player experience 
it in a way that you think the other person is much slower than yourself, I think. So as a TO, it can be a challenge. Uh, mm. I, I haven't had someone talk to me about someone slow playing, uh, like complaining when I was a TO, but uh, mm -hmm. it, 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 I've noticed myself, like after a game, you can be frustrated, like, oh, if we just had that last round, I would have won. And you, then you're like, why did he play so slow? But then you, you can be like, okay, how, how quick was I? Um, slow play is obviously a problem, but like, it, yeah, it is very difficult to identify. Well, I know one, one case, in a Warhammer 40k tournament I was at where I definitely should have called my the TO over for slow play because my opponent spent 45 minutes placing one unit. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I mean, sometimes slow play. I played a guy, uh, first tournament this year, I can't remember, first, first game I think it was, uh, he was a new player. He was playing quite slowly, but I felt that he needed that time. He wasn't playing slow to be, uh, you know, uh, to, to game it because we only got to turn three. But I was so I played my game, knowing that we were probably only going to get to turn three. So get in there, score some points when you can. Um, but I think trying to push him along, he'd have got a, a much worse experience out of it. Um, on the other hand, I have had, I did go to a tournament a few years ago where somebody was was definitely deliberately playing slow. They admitted it was the first time or only the second time they'd played that particular master as well. I made my feelings known to the organizer. And the guy did exactly the same in the in the next round and ended up coming, coming second in the tournament, which I felt was was quite ridiculous. Mm. And he was, you know, deliberate slow play. He was a mate of the TO. He wasn't going to win it. He wasn't willing to have a have a word with him. And it is it is quite difficult to have that conversation, as we, you know, we were talking earlier about um, having having to speak to somebody. It's, it's it's not a nice part of the TO's job, and some people probably won't want to consider that. Yeah. So returning to more lighter matters. Tournament <laughs> software, long shanks, bagger tools, best ghost pairings. You mentioned bagger tools earlier, and uh, that's apparently what you mostly use for your tournaments. Yes. Is it because you're more familiar with it, or mm -hmm. because you think it's better than the other ones, or? I haven't run a tournament with long shanks. Um, and I don't really want to make a comparison between the two because I've not used them visually. I like the, the, the look of, of, um, I, I have looked at, um, tournaments that have been run on long shanks. Um, and I find it more difficult to, to read, but that's partly because I'm not so familiar with it. Obviously I'm very familiar with bag of tools. So, um, bag of tools fulfills all my requirements as a TO, um, and Kai is very good at uh, updating it to meet our requirements. So, um, for example, in the early days, it was you, you had to just scroll through the the table to get the results. Now it comes up with the results page, for example. So all the best in factions are all laid out, which makes it like the TO's job a, a lot easier. I don't know whether Longshanks 
does that. I, I suspect it does. Um, so I, I'm not going to say that one's, one's any better than another. All I know is it's a lot better than trying to run it on the Excel sheet I was originally using for my tournament. Yeah, I can guess. We have lots of manual manipulation and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I think whichever using some sort some sort of software that's that's built for the purpose is is definitely um, the way to go. Uh, but I'm not sure that it makes any difference whether you use Longshanks or, or Bag of Tools at the end of it. All I know is that Bag of Tools doesn't accept Scandinavian alphabet. <laughs> yeah, I've had an issue with well, that. You know. <laughs> Maybe it does now. I do, I, I do believe it does now. Yeah. Uh, that was a problem one year at the Nationals. Yes, it stopped the, it, um, it did cause a problem, which I uh, believe is now, uh, is now fixed. Yeah. So Eleanor, you've used Longshanks, right? What what do you think about that one? Yeah, I had some problems with Bag of Tools, but as we said, I think it might be fixed now. Um, it, 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 Bag of Tools wasn't very uh, forgiving of mistakes, and it had a problem with people registering with Swedish letters, but uh, which which caused some bugs. But like. I'm sure it's great now. Um, I think Longshanks is nice. Um, I don't know. It's like it, it's been a while since I looked at bag of tools. I, I think statistics are fun. <laughs> so Longshanks does some fun things with statistics. Uh, it's fun to geek out looking at. Yeah. So bag of tools has been gathering um, master data, and I think they can now analyze down to you know schemes and and that sort of thing nice. uh that's something that's, that's going to be coming out this year as well i think on bag of tools and the fact that we, we can now go back in and we can edit so when when the to makes a mistake which um i definitely have done a few times um i, I we can now go back and, and, and edit stuff ourselves without having to um call the helpline yeah exactly because that was my problem before, uh, and then I just switched, and then Bag of Tools was updated, and then, like, I, I do Longshanks mostly because, actually, because Henrik in Malmö does it, so we just use the same one. Mm -hmm. And speaking of other technology for, for running a tournament, you said that they had, was it in Huddersfield, started using clocks for the games have you ever considered that for your tournaments and what do you think about clocks in general uh i'm on the fence personally about clocks i've got to admit i've not played with clock um and therefore i'm not going to say clocks are right or wrong um I, I certainly wouldn't say that until i've actually tried it myself um personally i'm not over keen but um, if I thought it was the, the right way to go, and if that's certainly if that's the way the community wanted to go towards using clocks, then then we'd introduce clocks at my events. But at the moment, they're generally not using clocks. It's, it's mainly Jan's events as a requirement, and a couple of the other TOs are allowing players to use it as an option. I see, yeah. So I wouldn't say you can't use a clock but generally it's not a requirement i really like them but um 
it's I feel like it's not worth the risk of losing potential players to enforce it. And mm -hmm. then it gets really strange if it's optional clocks. So Yeah, optional clocks is a bit odd to me as well. Um but um I think I've probably got to some one 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 time this year get up to one of Jan's events up in Huddersfield and, and give him a go. Jan will probably help me for that now. My biggest issue with clocks is the fact that I forget to press them. Like, because I haven't had any practice with clocks, really. Uh, the clock can go there, and I'm so into the mm -hmm. game, I forget that the clock is there, and I don't press it, and then our opponent just stands there. And if he's a, someone who's used to clocks. Yeah. So, like, I'd need a lot of practice to be able to play in a tournament with clocks. Not, not because I'm too slow, but because I can't press the button. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. that is nice, although it does help with making the game feel a bit more fair. Like, so I think that, personally, I think that way it up. Because there is a big argument against clocks being that it stresses people out. I get really stressed out not playing with clocks because you need to tell people to hurry up. Yeah, sorry about that, Lena. What? <laughs> oh yeah sorry no but actually it, it helps me as well it helps me yeah. know when i'm being slow as well so yeah, I, I think it makes it more fair yeah uh, and it's easy to feel a bit like a douchebag when you're saying hey i think we need to hurry up so yeah but it's a it's a tricky yeah. tricky thing I, I, I think from we had it was a long discussion we had um, at the Masters weekend at the, the social event it was a long discussion about the pros and cons of clocks and I think the conclusion was the conclusion one there was was there wasn't a conclusion yeah there wasn't the right <laughs> the right answer because um, there are there are ways in which people can abuse the use of clocks as well so um, if the people are being really gamey we felt that the clocks were probably more helpful at the top. Of the table because people are more concerned about scoring as many points and scoring that maximum number of points yeah. to get to the five round whereas probably lower down the table you know a win or a loss is a less less important maybe um but also you know most players like myself i'm, I'm quite happy with a, a four three win um just a win is nice but, yeah i mean um, it, it, there's a risk of it feeling a little less relaxed and just for fun yeah. so yeah one thing i would like tournament organizers to think about though is to have one of those bigger digital clocks that so that players can constantly see the time because i know remember again going back to this one event in gothcon i misheard a time call so that i thought it was like I think the time call was an hour and 45 minutes left, but I heard 45 minutes left. So we kind of hurried through the game, but we did finish it in 45 minutes and then an hour off. But still, wow. like... Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm looking at venues, especially for the Nationals, one of the requirements is it's got a projector so we can project the time up. Mm. It's definitely um advantage. And there are, there are some venues now that are that have screens screens up so that you can um, uh, either put a clock up or um, sort of bag of tools has got a display screen that includes a clock. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's important 
that even walking around and calling phone, people don't always hear it. They're concentrating on their game. Um, it does make life a bit more difficult. So yeah, yeah, having a big display um, is, is a definite advantage. So kind of rounding up this discussion about organizing tournaments, what would be the five best tips you have for someone planning to get into organizing tournaments and they don't need to be in order? Um, so make sure you get, you've been to some events and preferably a number of different, uh, run by a number of different people. So you can observe how other people are running events hopefully pick up the things that you like and pick up things that you would like to do differently, especially around the peripheral things for the event. So in terms of um, giveaways or raffle prizes or the way that the raffle, raffle tickets are given out, all that sort of thing could be different. Um, talk to an existing TO, preferably an experienced TO and get some advice. Um, think about your venue, the space, the environment, um, what's around the venue. Have you got access to toilet, food, drink, you know, even things like, you know, is the place going to be, has it got some heating or some, some cooling? Um, um, Think about the players, make sure, you know, provide information in advance, clear rules pack. Um, so we had some good feedback after, again, after the Masters weekend. I, I you know, I'd use some nice fancy fonts, some of the, some of the weird fonts, the sort of Blood Crow and whatever. It makes it actually more difficult to read. So I've gone back to using a plain font. Mm. Um, because it, it, some people find it more difficult to read some of the, some of the strange fonts. So um, provide the information as, as far in advance as you can. Promote the event is the other thing is look at where you can. We talked earlier about um, obviously some groups are, are using Discord, but they tend to be closed groups. Um, Facebook is a really good place for, for promoting the event because everybody can see it um and i post in especially the bigger events in so many different facebook groups um but if it pulls in extra players and gathers extra interest then that's got to be um, a good thing um and the fifth thing i guess is at the end of the day tournament should be fun yeah. everybody should should go away having had a good day Win, win, win or lose, won a prize, didn't win a prize, um, got something in the raffle or not. That hopefully they had a good day, and whatever you can do to to make that happen, um, then you should be doing as a TA. I think that that's a that's very great. good message to close out on. So I have to thank you very much for coming on and uh, talking to us about this because uh, I know that there are a lot of tournament organizers out there who are basically trying to their best but a bit unsure on how to do it and i hope hope that this discussion will help them if they find it and actually listen to it yeah i hope so too and if anybody wants to contact me 
um, to discuss anything. That's I'm fine with that. Always, always happy to help. Do you want to promote anything here at the end before before we cut out? No, I I, um, I would uh, encourage people to to travel to events, go to go to events outside your your own area. Um, go to an overseas event so you know I met klaus last year at the italian italian nationals which was uh which was good and um i've been to swedish swedish nationals uh polish nationals i've got invites to spain and uh germany um i'd love to get out to the states again but um that's probably a little bit more difficult um yeah and um i just look forward to and, and it doesn't matter. You don't have to go to a big event overseas. Um, all the events are, are, are welcoming. And um, so if you happen to be um, traveling abroad, you know, see what you can um, see, what you go and see. Um, there's all, I say in the UK, there's, there's events almost every weekend. And um, we, we do occasionally get overseas players just um, coming, coming for, one of our smaller events it's, it's we made very welcome thank you very much for that and yeah thanks a lot hopefully we will see you again on the podcast when we figure out a good topic for you to come and talk to us about again my pleasure anytime you want the advice of an average player <laughs> i'm your man all right <laughs> thank you and goodbye thank you for listening to Episode 2, Tournament Boogaloo. The resources David mentioned, you can find a link to them in the show notes, as well as our new shiny email address.